folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, I'm again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G-E-E-S, emil.gorgis at tokyorealty.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. Okay, so for today's episode, we're back with the JREP crew, minus Tracy this time, and we talk about satellite cities or distant suburbs, mainly using Tokyo as an example since it has a huge range of those. The tricky balancing act, both for tenants and owners occupiers, when it comes to comparing commute time with ease of access, fragmented commute versus smooth transit lines and so forth. Really interesting conversation there. And we also branch out to another conversation about the differences in property profile and location selection when dealing with different types of tenants. So lower income singles versus families and middle income professional types. We also touch a bit on beachfront and ski homes and how one can score cheap deals that just won't be as readily available in other countries, which is a major attraction point for holiday home and guest house shoppers in Japan. A bit of suburban social dynamics, and then we briefly talk financing challenges, whether for non-standard properties or non-standard borrowers, lender flexibility, and finally on how to get a good deal when you're selling uh, dilapidated properties in good locations. So sure, you can always sell them to a local developer, but they normally wouldn't be paying premium prices as a strategy. So what else can you do if you've got something like that and you want to maximize your resale value? So really good, diverse, professional conversation there. I really enjoyed this one. Hope you do as well. Okay, so yeah, Matt, you were saying, what, what is this background? Where is this background? This is at the tip of the Manazuru Peninsula, which is just one stop up from where I live in Yugawara. Um, Manazuru is actually a surprisingly, I've started exploring it recently, and I quite like it. But for really a very long time, Manazuru has been on people's minds. And I, I, I mean, I never had anything against it. But I also was just like, wow, it seems like a really, like, that's like deep Inaka kind of spots um, with a lot of this kind of stuff. <laughs> I had a, a client. You can't buy that. Houses. Uh, I had a client look at some houses in Hachiyoji and I'm like, that feels like deep Inaka to me. 
Hachioji <laughs> is <laughs> people sometimes contact us for investment properties in Hachioji because it's actually um, if you look at the uh, listings website, it says that it's in Tokyo, but that's that's about as Tokyo as uh, <laughs> about as Tokyo as Saitama. Well, Saitama is actually a lot closer, isn't it? And and a lot more vibrant, and it's not officially oh, well, Tokyo. Uh, you know, so Hachioji is actually it's not my spot. I think in my early days in Japan, I used to live on the Chuo Line. And probably my first encounter with Hachiyoji was waking up on the train one morning in Hachiyoji. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I hope so. <laughs> it's a bit far. Um, and then I got off and I realized the train was actually heading back into Tokyo. So I've gone like, I think up to wherever the past past Hachiyoji or me or whatnot. And it was on the way back. Um, but anyway. My mom missed the flight back to Australia doing exactly that one time. She went all the way to Fukuoka airport, didn't realize that, you know, the train just stops there for a while and then starts heading back. And then she uh, called me when she was supposed to be on the plane already. She called me, said, I am, I'm still on the train. Is that about right? So actually an architect friend of mine near, what is it? Uh... Naganuma, which is right outside of Hachioji. Um, he's working on, there's a big national park there. And in the middle of it, there is an ancient, uh, like, I guess it was a Dyokan, um, but it's been owned by these, I think, three sisters who are all 90 something now uh, for any number of years. Um, and they'd been using it as a cafe rather unsuccessfully because it's like mountaintop in the middle of a national park sort of thing. Um, but it's this kind of very majestic, uh, very traditional kind of Japanese house. And an architect friend of mine who lives in the area uh, ended up, I think, two or three years ago, kind of partnering with them. And so now he's renovating. The, it was I don't think it was ever Akia, but it was damn close. Um, and so for the past two or three years, he's been kind of fixing it up on it's like one of his just like weekend hobby projects that he's doing pro bono. Um, the place is called Kamata Toriyama. Uh, it's pretty cool. You should go check it out. I sent the link in the uh, in the chat if you're interested. I'll just sort of pop up. Yeah, but the next because I've got clients sort of buying property up there. They 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 end up buying um oh thing, actually a different client end up buying sort of in that area. So I do have to go up. Um, it wouldn't be very good for uh, tenants, though, does it? I mean, the city doesn't have too much of an you know an economy going for it, and it's oh not, no, it's not even attractive uh, enough to be a bedroom community because it's an hour away. Uh, no, no, it's like uh, Hachioji is on the Chuo line, and it's an express stop. Yeah. So yeah, it's actually there's it itself is actually there's there's stuff around the station, and it's um it's direct access into Shinjuku very very quickly. Right. Land houses and sizes are affordable, um, and yeah, it's very affordable. It's, I've noticed that, yeah. and and also everyone knows Hachioji. You say Hachioji, everyone kind of has an idea of it. It's not a little place. It is a major, major sort of you know stop with stuff going on. Um, lots of parks, nice for families, and here there's lots of universities there. There's like eight <laughs> university campuses, I think, around the Hachioji area. Now Hachioji city is, I think, quite large. Um, so I don't know the, the details specifically of where they are, but and if it's right by Hachioji Station or the further station down, like along yeah. the Ome line or whatnot. Um, no, 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 it's kind of just like in that um, vicinity. And but, actually, yeah. if if I'm not mistaken, there, there, so car dealerships are always sort of an indicator of like localized wealth. 
And there's a if I there's like Mercedes, uh, Harley Davidson. I think yeah, Mercedes Benz, Harley Davidson. I think there's a Ferrari dealership out there too. So like something's up with that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I get that vibe as well. Just, I usually go, if I don't know the city myself personally, I usually go off um, Jetro or Wikipedia and uh, industry economy wise, um, aside from like you mentioned, the universities and the colleges, there is, all they say is, yeah, it's sometimes used as a bedroom community to Tokyo. But I'm thinking as a bedroom community to Tokyo, there are much nearer places than an hour away, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just from easy kind of hour. Yeah. Kind of so, yeah. One thing to remember. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I was just gonna say, just from like an atmospheric and not business sort of perspective, it's nice. It's got you know mountains, rolling hills. It's pretty wide open yeah. and it's accessible. So just from like sort of a like yeah atmospheric kind of, I don't I don't not get it. Yeah. Um. One thing to remember, yeah. It's it's one. It's an express station that goes into Shinjuku yeah. and Tokyo. That is convenient, isn't it? Right. Uh, and it's and it's one train line. So, it to say and now like, there's different types of hours, right? Um, depending on the amount of transfer, the amount of walking, um, etc. So, leave me on one train express all the way out. And also depends um, on where in Tokyo you land, right? Like Saitama is thirty minutes away, but it's thirty minutes from Ueno Station. You still have a fair bit to go once you get there, right? Yeah, right. this one goes to Shinjuku. Like True Line goes to Shinjuku and terminates at Tokyo. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the fast expresses, there's rapid ones that skip, like they only stop at like four stations. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's that's very similar to, and in fact, a lot of our clients, the Chuo line is one of the main, the Chuo, the Takasaki and the uh, Tokaido lines are the mm -hmm. basic ones we see most of the action on. And I'm on the Tokaido, it's a very similar situation. Like from where I am, uh, there's expresses, there's locals, there's Shinkansen going through Shinagawa and Tokyo, one stop or one shot. So yeah, you're right. If it's a bunch of transfers and stuff involved, it gets to be a huge hassle. But if it's one or two stops or one or two or zero or one transfers, it's not that bad. All right, I'll amend my um, I'll amend my biased uh, view of Hachiyoji and start looking at. <laughs> I mean, just the, looking at the price of properties there, we sometimes see um, we mainly deal in apartments, so we sometimes see uh, mansion rooms that go as low as. Um, you know, three, four million yen. And just thinking, you know, an hour out of Tokyo, three, four million yen. What's wrong with this place, right? Um, I'm going to say it because it's Hachiyoji. Oh, what well, you mean? Like, no, sorry, what's wrong with it? Rather, it, I think there's a lot of it also the building as well. Like, it's hard to pinpoint because if you're getting closer to the station, um, I think it's not. Like there is the nearby, the, the neighboring stations, which are smaller than Hachioji, are cheaper. Yeah. Hachioji is really like the, the more expensive one there. Yeah. But um, also, I'd point out that it's it's near Sagamiko, Fujino, and Uenohara, uh, yeah. which are number one, relatively popular spots for considerably more rural, but they're also known as pretty storied and historical kind of artist enclaves. Mm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of creativity out in that area. Let's try to look on the map. Oh, so, Matt, the, Matt, going back to the, the um, going back to that beach behind you, um, can you? I, I mean, the Aki, the places that you would call Akia, the places that you work with, are there any um, semi or, or livable or semi livable homes 
on a beach that people can buy around? Oh, yeah. In fact, I've got, I've got video that I still need to edit of when I was down in Oita on the Kunisaki Peninsula of a guy, uh, Tetsuo, who picked up. He's originally from Oita City. I think he was living in Florida for a number of years working there. And then he moved back. Maybe to, Anyway, he ended up back kind of in his hometown or nearby uh, and legit picked up an Akia that's dead. Like it is on the beach. It is not like walking distance to the beach. It's legit beachfront kind of spot. Um, he's fixed it up into an Airbnb. It is called... Uh, I can't remember right now, but I do have, I actually have probably a 30 minute or so interview um, that I did with him when I was down there uh, at the property. Yep. Um, and I haven't yet, st- he gave me a tour of it. It's quite nice. I haven't yet stayed there. I plan on doing that sometime early next year, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's doable for sure. And what was the, uh, just in his case as an example, what was the uh, approximate price, including any renovations you would have done or whatnot? Ah. <sighs> I think it was around eight million, but don't quote me on that. I'd have to okay, go back. That's not bad for a house on the beach. No, especially no. in Oita, where it's, it's nice and warm. It's like a ten-minute drive from the Oita airport as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a very impressive, very nice, rustic. You know, most of the spots that we pick up, it's again. Let me reiterate for the thousandth time that yeah. like. You know, you're not getting the Louis Vuitton of houses when you're going with Akia. Yeah. Um, but so far as basically so far as functionality is concerned, it's it's perfectly viable, right? Yeah. So um, that's that's maybe something to put out as a marketing strategy, eh? Like um, the the you know the how the home on the on the beach that you've always dreamed of, or near the slopes, because I'm sure there's quite a few of those as well. Oh yeah, we're working with three clients right now in the slopes. Definitely, the the Yukiguni areas are more popular, yeah. Um, just in general than beachside, and there's some reason for that. I mean, both no matter where you are in rural Japan, beach, mountaintop, snow area, whatever. Like you do, kind of have to beat back the forces of nature in order yeah. to ensure the property yeah. doesn't rot, right? Um, but yeah, the, the beach stuff is totally doable. There's also uh, where was it? Shit, totally blanking on it. There's another one that I was dealing with recently uh, that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, they're they're out there for sure. So, sorry, I was I was uh, zoning off a little bit. I was looking at uh, the Google Maps, um, the, the Hachioji. I'm like, hey, how far? Is it? Yeah, hard to see. Um, anyway, from uh, Hachioji to Tokyo Station. Oh, sorry, to Shinjuku Station, 39 minutes on the express. Yeah. 39 minutes um, if you take the express. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes. um, yeah. That's actually and that's a special rapid, which is quite frequent. Um, and the really the 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 limited rapid, the limited express, that's like another thousand yen for the ticket, and that's a bit of a special um, uh, tool, like a special one. But that's like one thousand five hundred yen. Um, okay. Yeah. But the regular it's... ticket, four hundred yen. Oh, sorry, Matt. If, if you're in, like, I used to live in Hamamatsu uh, near what Shiodome and stuff. Um, and then I was working in Roppongi is where the office was, right? And like on a rainy day, door to door, taking the train, probably about 45 minutes, right? And so this, this is always something that I kind of keep, I mean, granted, there's a, there's a cost difference, of course, um, but I, I do always kind of keep front of mind, like realizing, hey, wait a minute, with that same amount of time, if I get on the right, if I'm on the, the right train line and there's not that many transfers involved, and I get on the right, like the express train, I can be out all the way out there. That's crazy that, you know, do you want to go two kilometers in 45 minutes or do you want to go 60? Yeah. 
That's very true. Well, well, you know what? Now we're on sort of the topic of trains and, and the commuting aspect of it, right? So, again, you know, you bring up a really good point. And, and I kind of touched on it before, like one hour or 40 minutes is not the same 40 minutes, like the amount of transfers that you have to do um, or if it's an express stop or not. Okay, um, is they uh, they make a big difference in sort of the the value of the area, the value of the property, and um, what you said before as well as it is which station is it going into. Okay, so I've got um, I live in Setagaya, and there is a the Setagaya line. It's a small two carriage tram, basically, right? Um, and it's it's quite small, quite slow, and it goes from like Shimota Kaido down to Sangenjaya. Like just basically just north to south um, across uh, basically the Kao line. It crosses the Kao line, um, Odeku line, down to the Dengantoshi line. But it doesn't actually go into Shibuya or Shinjuku. It just goes mm. north to south. And that's like even if your house is near one of those stations, like on the, on the, uh, the Setagai line, it's not actually easy access into town. And so even though if the, the sales fly would not say, oh, it's only three minutes from the station or five minutes from the station. What station? It's, it, yeah, it's, it's which station on which line and how is access into sort of Shinjuku or Shibuya um, and what, what's the transfer like? Versus someplace like, you know, the, then there were the, the more premium ones, which on the KO line, for example, not far from my house, is, um, you know, Shimokitazawa. Okay, mm-hmm. and that has both the Oriku line that goes to Shinjuku and the Chiyoda line, uh, sorry, the, the, the Oriku line and the um, uh, Inokashiro line. Inokashiro line goes into Shibuya, Oriku line goes into Shinjuku, but Oriku line also can, some of the trains, you change at Yogi Uehara and it changes to the Chiyoda line, right. which is a subway stop that goes down to, to um, Akasaka, um, you know, not far from Roppongi, um, and all the way, I think, down to uh, is Otemachi area so you can have really good access with some certain stations and what that also means is any sort of big development happening in these areas Shibuya is a great example now because for the past I guess since 15 years or so they've been spending like billions of dollars on these massive um, redevelopments in the Shibuya area and they still have it I think planned for the next 10 years or so it's going to end around 2028 or 2030 um, the the next stage of the, the huge development so, like, you know, Google has moved into one of the, the buildings in, in Shibuya, I think, uh, two years ago or so. When you have so much more um, businesses coming into an area, so much more office space, you have, um, like, the, the people need to leave easy access to that stop. So, with so much happening in Shibuya, any of these train lines that go out of Shibuya, right, start to also pick up because people need access to Shibuya more. Like, it was always a hotspot but now even more so because work is located there. Um, so, yeah, this, the train line isn't just about, um, you know, just a the duration. There's a lot more meaning to it and a lot more value to, um, to consider. And the other one is, is it an express stop or not? Um, I was uh, talking to someone, they said a good indicator of the, the growth and size of a station is how many supermarkets it has. One is it an express stop, the other one is how many supermarkets. Usually two or more supermarkets means there's a lot going on in that station. If there's only one supermarket, it means it's quite local. Um, and I actually, my area for that, I'm like between Shimokitazawa and Meidaimai. 
and we won't go to one supermarket and it is local as hell even mm-hmm. though we're just close to these two major like very large places um no one in the area is not from this area mm. right? anyone who gets off at the station is coming here because they live here um they're not coming to hang out at the local cafe um so that's um yeah, I that's mean, that's this, this is a very this is a very very important point um at least for i mean the main kind of the major areas and something that i feel and I mean, this is strictly kind of my personal experience, but I don't, I don't see too much analysis of like logistical analysis of, of, you know, real estate, basically. Um, a lot of it is very, you know, kind of smack in your face, like, oh my God, it's Shimoki Tazawa and it's super hip. You have to be here. And it's not, well, if you want to be there 15 minutes out, one stop away, or, you know, like there's, you can be dead center in the thick of it. Or you can be on the periphery, which, okay, it's not as convenient, but frequently it's much cheaper and really not all that, you know, kind of kind of a hassle um, to be out there. This, this is honestly one thing that we do with a lot of the areas that we work with outside of Tokyo, because, again, you know, there's the Karirizawas, Atamis, Nisekos, and whatnot. Getting in there, difficult, can definitely be difficult, right? Um, but we're working in Nozawa Onsen right now, and oh my God, what a pain in the ass. We interrupt this broadcast, I always wanted to say this, we interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long-term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S at tokyorealty.jp. Um, but if you kind of expand your footprint just a little bit, you know, not that, like, in fact, right outside of Karuizawa, there's a place called Omogai, which is like one-tenth of the land prices. Um, and I think it's it's maybe a 10-minute drive into the actual, like, Karuizawa proper. And so one thing that we found is there's a lot of viable stuff on the periphery of the really hot areas, but not in the hot areas. Yeah. 
It's um yeah, my it's worth oh. pointing out that it's a bit different depending on your um I mean Emil, you deal with owners occupiers and um, Matt deals I I suppose mainly with lifestyle properties, right? The people yeah. might be using them for it's a little bit different when you're talking about investment properties and tenants just because again the cash cows are going to be cash cows are going to be cheaper older homes and often enough the people who populate these homes they're not salarymen commuting into the city right they're going to be um either pensioners retirees in which case they're not commuting anywhere they just stay around you know whichever area they're living in or they're going to be um shift workers convenience store work maybe entry entry level salarymen um office personnel, that kind of uh, that kind of tenant. And for those, I mean, as long as it's within walking distance to a station, uh, they'll take it. Price is going to be the prime driver for them, right? It's a very different scenario. So you're not mm -hmm. going to you're not going to have a vacant property as long as it's, you know, semi conveniently located. But prices would definitely be affected. Yeah, uh, which actually accounts for higher yields. I think if you have the the you know the the smaller size single unit properties, then yeah, that does you know definitely comes into into play what you said. But when you go to you know if it's a three bedroom property, it's a lot oh, of yeah, family, family that, yeah, totally different. Yeah, yeah, family dynamics are a bit different. The people that want um, family homes because you know someone's still going to have to commute into town, uh, and a three bedroom home like you know a, a senior citizen on their own is not going to to rent a, a, a three bedroom house as such. But in terms of the lifestyle. Aspect even the, the owner occupiers um, life like lifestyle, but also where they're going to raise their family is a big consideration. So actually, some of the the spots like you know Shimokitazawa, these like the more hustling and bustling places, a little bit away from there is kind of preferred. Um, and I kind of got the hang of that once I I moved to sort of where where I am now. It's just being one stop away or two stops away means that like you it's a much more local feel and you everyone knows kind of everyone to agree to a degree it's not a lot of outsiders coming in and the streets aren't busy with with strange people and strange faces the, the streets aren't actually busy at all apart from the, the commute the regular commute rush but during the day it's just local and then in matt's so, case everything you just said is amplified tenfold right <laughs> everyone knows everyone you're an hour away from everyone there's monkeys stealing my shoes <laughs> i got so touching on, on that and, and the Hachioji story. So my in-laws had a house in Hachioji, which is, it wasn't Hachioji station. It was another station, sort of a few stops from Hachioji and then like a 15 minute bus ride to this little, to the area. And then a 10 minute walk from the bus stop to the, uh, to the property. Yeah. And so I used it just as storage for some of my old Airbnb properties that I, that I had shut, uh, shut down. And so there was like four houses worth of, of, furniture like you know a dozen a dozen beds and sofa beds and all that sort of junk i was just stored there um and the my in like it's just just the old dump getting run down but the my father-in-law sort of said look he's going to sell it so they actually said look tear it down and sell it as vacant land so he's done that and it just sold the contract is getting signed like next week um he's and i he actually asked me if i wanted to to do it and i said it's, it's too <laughs> you, you're probably better just with a local agent it's like really too far out for me to to handle um yeah. to hand, hand, I, thought handle you said, I thought you were saying he asked if you want to buy it oh no no if we want to 
sell it for him because yeah. we're we're an agency, right? That's going to be yeah, enough. <laughs> That's going to be yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you better for with a local agent. But he sold actually for for more than what we were thinking it would get. Okay. But, um, but but to, to the point like this local town knows everyone whilst we were doing that he was because that's where he was when like my wife i think was born when or she was like one year old or so when they were there and the neighbor apparently the the neighbor on the side like when they went to tear it down old discussed that they're going to tear it down they were talking to the neighbor on the side and they found out that that neighbor's son married the next neighbor's daughter oh <laughs> Yeah, whole <laughs> city dynamics. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, I was like, if you if your family had stayed there, you could have been that wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do have um, uh, what is it? I think last time I was talking about we had this one property which uh, we were looking near by the river, and it had an extension. They extended the deck and extended the loft area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were the trying to get complex. Uh, it became three stories, and yeah, that's been a bit of a nightmare to get finance. Well, the, the banks are like, nope, 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 nope. We tried a bunch. My client still really wants it. We're trying now with some with the local, the real local bank. It's in Tama, Tama City. So we're trying with like yeah. Tama Shinyo, like the Tama Credit Union, um, Tama City Credit Union, and they looked at it. They still from last week. We sent them all documentation. And we still haven't received feedback yet. So I think they're still discussing internally. Hopefully within this week, we get a response whether they're going to finance it or not. But yeah, these are like when, you know, we're talking about financing challenges before. This is a house that's 15 years old and still 16 years old and just had a little bit of like an extra extension on, on, of a balcony, just a metal structure added to the front of it which can kind of be taken down. It's a bit heavy duty, but it's not really modification of the building. And mm. it's just external like carport and deck, right? They haven't taken down any of the walls or any supporting material on the existing building. And the same with the, the loft rooftop. They, it was, they just raised the ceiling. So the existing ceiling is there rather than have a level like at 1.4 meters, a level ceiling. They removed that. So you get the full height of the ceiling. And that makes it yet yeah, no we don't want to the bank someone this is you this is you trying to get so, um, this is you trying to get a, a loan for the buyer yeah yes and how what's um, the, and what's the price of the property about like 48 million yen okay half million dollars yeah okay. yeah, yeah no so it's not something that that makes sense for a cash purchase and also the buyer can get financing the buyer doesn't have an issue with financing so is the problem is if the banks come back and like when you go to more local banks, they can they can discuss internally and come up with um, something that like a non-standard offering. So generally when you go to the mega banks, you know, they're gonna say you get 0.45% or 0.5% our standard rate and we'll give you 100 percent financing. But for some, sometimes when it's a bit more challenging, the more local and Sorry, and the mega banks don't have much variety in their offering and they don't have much say. Right. Often it's a yes or it's a no. And if it's a yes, it tends to be the standard product offering with maybe just a little bit of variation in the interest rate, 0.1% variation on the risk profile. Maybe you, this person gets 0.45%. This person gets, has to pay 0.52%. Okay, so not, not a great deal, but that's kind of the variation that you get. Whereas with 
um, the the uh, like the credit banks, credit um, uh, institutes, and whatnot, they can come up with something based on their assessment of you and the property, and they want to do business, but. If they come back and say, look, you know what, we want 20% deposit and the interest rate is going to be 2.4%, my client's going to think, well, if it's a different property, I can get 100% financing at 0.5. Do I love this property enough to yeah. have to put down $100,000 and put up with the extra interest rate, right? Like they really have to love it because that the client can actually get financing anywhere um, at the, the regular right it's the property that's an issue yeah um and it, yeah and so that's what um he's got to consider so you don't really sometimes you can't find a solution the answer is well this is not the right one and it's not the right property because it's not going to be financed at the right terms it's going to be financed at very unattractive terms yeah so it depends on your level of love for this property or almost you know um sometimes the situation is the opposite it's the client themselves like the house is fine, the client themselves are the challenge. Maybe they are um, self-employed, um, and they or they they they're the business owner, but their business is always being in the red. Okay, so the bank's like, ah, oh, you don't you're not making a lot of money, and you know, which is often what, a tax. It's often a tax strategy. It's not necessarily means that they're not making money, just that they're keeping it this way on purpose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, as far as the, when the bank see it, how is your business operating? Taxable income. Uh, it's, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's it's not it's not doing so well. Um, so even though you're paying yourself ten million in a year, your company is losing eight million in a year. Most of that is your wages. So on paper, it looks like you're making money, but realistically, are you? Um, as far as the the, the documentation is concerned, yeah. tax returns concerned, it doesn't look very exciting for the bank or very safe for the bank versus right. someone who's just a salaried employee at Sony. Or Toyota, right? So, um, yeah, sometimes it. So when people like that who are maybe quite desperate for a loan, right? Or what's common is people that don't have permanent residency. They're sort of maybe self-employed. You know, their employment history is not very like their in income history is not very good. Um, and so most banks were like, no, nope, no, nope, you can't do it. Then uh, you know, lots of you have heard of Suruga Bank. Suruga Bank yeah. is is very flexible with their loaning. But they want lots of cash up front, anywhere from like, you know, 10, 40% cash contribution. And the interest rates are almost like you know, three to four and a half. I think four and a half percent was kind of the standard one they were giving. Right. Yeah. And for the people that were kind of desperate enough um, to still want the property at those terms, then yeah, they go ahead with that. But if you're eligible for not like you as an individual are eligible for good terms, then choose a house that can get those good terms. Because that's where the real value is. And since always, like I've said, the real value in, Jack in owning your own home is, is the great loan terms. Um, yeah, basically free money. And that's what makes sense versus other kinds of uh, um, investment. Yeah, 3 yeah, to 4% with 30 to 40% cash down seems to be the goal. Even if you're not a resident, you can, even, you can get loans with these terms. Um, you might need to set up a company, a corporate structure, but those are available even if you're not a resident. So if you're getting that from a Japanese lender as a Japanese resident, what's the point? Yeah. Um, well, one bank, Mutual uh, um, Bank, the Japan Post Bank, also mm -hmm. does that. You go, oh, I'll get it from Japan Post. Everyone knows Japan Post. Japan Post actually use Suruga Bank. They're, okay. model, they're a window for Suruga Bank. So 
I know it's also some clients that wanted to sell their their properties, like or like you know they want to buy a new one and sell the old one. I look at the old. I look at the the um the loan details um from their old bank. I'm like, wow, you'll like even though it's Japan Post, it's it's mentioned that it's Suruga Bank. And you're paying you know three point eight percent interest for the past fifteen years, which is nuts. And like you just a portion says this is every month you're paying you know hundred and fifty thousand yen, and instead of, and you know. Sixty thousand, almost half of it. Sixty thousand is is interest, yeah. Right, and and um, you know, eighty thousand is principal, where it should be, you know, twenty thousand, thirty, uh, fifteen to twenty thousand is is interest. Um, and you see that and go, oh yeah, they were like, oh, I didn't have permanent residency, and they were just desperate at at the time. So, uh, yes, that's it, it happens. Yeah, and I agree. It's like these are kind of the terms that almost anyone can get. Even if you're not resident, if you're going to put down that much money, um, it's easy to get the financing. And so I often tell people that if you're almost got their permanent residency um, and like they're not married to a Japanese, or they don't have a Japanese spouse or anything like that, if they're not eligible for the regular great loans, but they've been in Japan for eight and a half or nine years, I'll say, you know what? Wait till you get to the 10-year mark. Okay, get your permanent residency. The extra one-year or two-year wait will get you a better financial deal than just like, you know, than just buying the bullet now and having to put 20% down payment and suffer a, a, a high interest rate. Yeah. Um, it, sometimes it's, it's worth waiting the one year or two years extra. We've got a few customers exactly in, uh, in that situation at the moment. Matt, I had a question to ask you um, from a friend actually. Yeah. Um, his wife has an old family home that's actually not that Inaka. It's actually within the outskirts of Fukuoka City itself. Um, but it's completely... What's that? Sorry? Is it Itoshima? No, 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 no. In the city itself. In Fukuoka City oh, okay. itself. Itoshima is different. From the, so it's actually... It's, it's suburban Fukuoka City uh, on the east side, I think. Um, but it's, it's in a state of disrepair. So basically, it's, be, it's to be purchased for land value only... <laughs> unless somebody is the DIY type and really wants to. Um, right. Are these easy to sell if the price is right? Or do people prefer, a whole, you know, how, I mean, I know they can sell it maybe to a developer, but that's not going to be a super good deal. So yeah. it's, it's actually, this is sort of an interesting <clears throat> area. Um, so we, we have seller services as well, but much like our buyer services, they operate quite a bit differently because with traditional kind of methodology, gets you kind of traditional results. And those results tend to be, especially in rural areas, that it literally takes years to get rid of a building or land or just like anything, so far as it's real estate, it, people expect it to take three years is usually the number that you hear. Um, and the reason for that is, I mean, it's multitudinous, but you know, there's bad business practice, there's bad documentation, there's you know, bad a lot of things, right? And if you don't, rectify those well then yes it will take probably presumably quite a long time to get things moving if you change your practice and your approach to this and you do proper documentation and um you know this that and the other thing on a given property of course it depends again if it's like a mountaintop thing like emil was talking about that one's probably kind of just it's a rough sell no matter how you cut it yeah. um but with like what you're talking about just you know on the surface of things it seems like it's probably in a relatively reasonable at least you know somewhat valued area so like in that sense it's good 
But if it's not standing out, if you can't find it, if the rep doesn't, I mean, we literally have people calling up agents, not going with us, going through other agents who come down to Tokyo or to, for example, Atami from Tokyo, making a full day of it, right, to add, to get uh, tours of a given property. And the managing agent, the seller's agent, doesn't even know anything about the place, right? Because they just write it off and assume that they can't sell it. And guess what happens when you conduct yourself like that? You don't sell, yeah. right? Um, so it's not an easy answer. Can you make them easy to move quickly? Yes, there are ways to do that, you know, and it's, it's not all that complicated, but it isn't, it's basically not standard practice. Um, most people for one thing we've discovered is like, there are very strongly held opinions and beliefs about basically standard practice and people like that. They understand it. They know what it is. They don't have to guess about it. That doesn't mean it's good. That means they can wrap their head around it. And people like sticking to that, we've found. Um, and so working with sellers, you know, not all of them, but from what we can tell, the vast majority, a lot of, of owners really want to go the standard route, which means it's going to take you time and like, yeah, you really can't predict it. So you got to get creative selling, not just buying as well. I'm going to... Guys, I'm going to just um, um, let, let's hop out and hop back in because my 40 minutes are running out. I actually got to go right now. So oh, okay. I'm going to log yeah. off. Yeah. I, I think yeah, I think we can wrap it up there. I've got, um, I've got a pretty full day as well. Okay. So, yeah. Well, it was a good chat. I'll call, it, uh, I'll call cool. it trains, planes, trains, and automobiles or something like that. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, guys. No Thanks flying. for your time. See you, guys. See you soon. See you. Bye. Bye. So there you have it. Nice chat with most of the usual suspects, a good range of topics and fairly deep conversation. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we did. Now, before we go, we're also as always going to tell you and also link to our other sponsors website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku. Bye.